Thank you, Brother Tony. And folks, I say hello again. Delighted to be back at Bobby Branch. I've been here two or three times for your lectureship. Been here a couple of other special occasions like this tonight, plus a gospel meeting some nine years ago, I guess it was. I think we had just moved to West Fayetteville when I came for the gospel meeting. And every time I've assembled with you has been an enjoyable experience. You've always been very, very encouraging to me. And I love Tony Lawrence and love to be with him and Coretta. And they're just longtime friends and you just are blessed. I know you see them all the time. You take them for granted, but don't do that. Because good Christian men who will preach the truth to you and love you enough to encourage you and help you to go to heaven are not found everywhere. And you are blessed to have Tony Lawrence with you. I also want you to know I'm very privileged tonight and honored to have Don and Sheila Beard with us. They're here on about one, two, three, four, five, back five rows back. They are faithful members of the congregation at West Fayetteville. Sheila's one of our great Bible teachers of the children. Don does some preaching of the gospel every opportunity he has, and a great song leader, a great student of the Bible. They are dear, dear friends, and Phyllis and I love being with them, and I'm honored that they've made the trip here tonight to be with us for this occasion. I know that a lot of you know Brother Claiborne, and a lot of you have already been asking about him. So I'm just going to take a moment and tell you that Brother Claiborne is, we use this phrase a lot, but he's about the same. He has pancreatic cancer. He is doing quite well regarding that. He's very weak, unable to stand, so if he's out of the bed, he has to be in a wheelchair. But he is as sharp as a tack as ever, and when I'm gone and someone needs to be in the pulpit there, he does that job very, very well. And he stays in the wheelchair. Our men just help him get up into the pulpit, and then he preaches just like he always has. You've been very encouraging to him and to the Gospel Hour through the years, and, and I know he would want me to say hello to all of you tonight. I need this lesson tonight. I'm going to confess to you in the very beginning how and why I need it. This morning as we began our assembly for worship at 1030, we were sitting there, we were leading or being led in songs by one of our song leaders, Scott Whitehead. One of the songs that Scott chose was that great beloved hymn, O Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made, I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe displayed. Then sings my soul, my Savior, God to thee, how great thou art. That's the last thing I remember singing in that song. I got distracted this morning. 
I'll rephrase that. I allowed myself to be distracted with some thoughts that I should not have even allowed to enter into my mind. And I don't remember singing the rest of that song. So as it ended, I prayed. And I said, Father, forgive my wandering mind. Forgive me for not giving you the praise that you deserve in that song. Folks, worship is a challenge. It's a challenge from a lot of viewpoints. And one of the viewpoints from which you recognize it to be a challenge is how profound the privilege is. We just sang, and I love that song, Holy, Holy, Holy. But did you, did you notice the words? Who like me, thy praise to sing? What is there about me that deserves the opportunity to be in the presence of God and to sing to Him? I know the answer. There's nothing. There's nothing about me except for the fact that I am a creation of God and I have been redeemed by the blood of Christ, that I am loved by the Lord enough that He gave Jesus to be the atonement for my sins, and that Jesus loved me enough that He willingly came to this earth and died for all mankind, including me. That's the only claim for any kind of that privilege. Worship to be done correctly requires effort. It does not happen accidentally. It does not happen automatically by being in an assembly that's for the purpose of worship. It requires concentration. As I prepared for this lesson, I thought the first thing that we need to do is look at really what worship is, and then my next thought was, no, before we consider what worship is, let's consider what worship is not. It's not a performance. You, brother, were not up here to perform. He's called a song leader. That is, he's leading us in the singing of songs that are for the purpose of worshiping God. You, brother, were not up here to perform. You were leading our mind 
hands as we talk to God. Where's the young man that read? I've lost track of him. But he wasn't up here to perform. He did an excellent job. There he is. Excellent job. But he wasn't up here to perform. He was speaking the words of the Bible to us. So all of these are roles in which there is a facilitation accomplishing that for which we have assembled. And it's not a performance, and therefore, as you see the second line there, it's not a spectator sport. You know how it is. I mean, maybe you're not an NBA fan, but the finals are coming up, and so you have the Spurs against the Heat, and you're going to be pulling for your team, and then about 50 days from now, the football season kicks off, and we'll all be interested in seeing what's happening in Knoxville or Nashville or wherever your team is, and and we go to those games and we applaud and we cheer. And so that's not what we're here for. Ooh, I like that. Oh, no, I hope they won't do that again. Those comments are not appropriate when we view worship properly. Worship is not a fashion show. Oh, did you see what she had on this morning? Oh, I just love that outfit. That rang a bell, didn't it? I can't believe he wore that tie with that suit. Well, you know how we do those things. Do you ever dress with that in mind? It's not a fashion show. It's not a time for us to come to impress each other. It is a time to take into consideration the one in whose presence we will be and dress appropriately that says this is a special time. Don and I were talking just a few weeks ago about how we just use the word special. Well, this is a special service, or this is a special series. And whatever happened to understanding that Sunday morning assembly is special? That's the peak of the week. When we come together in the presence of God. And I want to dress in a way that's appropriate for that, and that is never a distraction. And if you study First Timothy chapter 2 very carefully, you'll find out that immodest apparel there really refers to that which is a distraction and that calls more attention to you than it does to God. Worship is not entertainment. It's not a time when we applaud like we do at a Broadway show or some high school play. That's not what this is about. So that leads to the thought that I'm not here to be pleased. I'm not here to be entertained. 
I think it was highlighted in my own mind the strongest when I saw a billboard in a city down in Alabama. And the billboard said, Come as you are, and we'll do our best to please you. I thought, what? There was a church one time that went throughout the community, knocking on doors and saying, we're from this church. What would we have to do to get you to come and worship with us? Brethren, all of that's just misdirected. It's totally misdirected. That's not what worship is about. So you draw all of that down and it just funnels down to that final line that worship is not about us. It's about God. It's about our Lord. And I'll come back to that. When you look at it from the positive standpoint, you understand that worship has to do with reverence. The word worship comes from a Greek word that is actually a compound word, part of it meaning toward and the other part to kiss, and you combine them and to kiss toward. This is not meant to trivialize it, of course, but as a gentleman who sees a lady that he finds beautiful and attractive or worthy of some kind of honor, and he approaches her and he leans toward her and takes her hand, and gently touches his lips to her hand to show respect, to show honor, or to show I'm attracted to you, whatever the motivation. But in that fashion, now picture approaching God. Hear all who suffered sword or flame for truth in Jesus' name are gathered. And I see Him. And I lean down and bow. And as figuratively kiss toward Him. And when you understand, as W. Vine <clears throat> defined it, that it involves to make obeisance, to express reverence, it creates within you a sense that compels you to cry out in praise and humility for the privilege. I want to do four things with you. I want to consider this matter of worship. First of all, by looking at what Jesus taught, so get your Bibles and turn it to John 4 again. This, that 
we read a while ago is a part of that moment when Jesus confronted a Samaritan woman. Samaria was not a place. It was not the area that the Jews would normally pass through, but Jesus went there. He saw this woman at Jacob's well. He approached her and asked her for something to drink. She recognized that he was a Jew. And in their encounter with each other, they engaged in a conversation that led to some biblical teaching. Jesus absolutely amazed her at what he already knew about her because she didn't yet know who he really was. But you know all of that story, and I'm not going to take time to recount it all tonight or to read it all tonight, but you know that as a part of his engagement with her, they began to talk about worship. Jacob's well would not have been very far from Mount Gerizim. Mount Gerizim was that place where the Samaritans went to worship. They couldn't conceive of worship being acceptable anywhere else. All the way back to the days of Nehemiah, there had been worship there. A temple had been built there. And she had been brought up, being taught that was the place. But she recognized that Jesus, being a Jew, would not go there. He would go to Jerusalem, where the temple was. So there's the setting of it. And so look at verse 19 with me. The woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in the mountain, and you say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when you shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship, you know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. For the hour cometh, but the hour cometh, and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship Him. God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Jesus taught her here in verse 22 the fact that you and I understand that true to biblical prophecy that salvation came to this earth not only for Jews but Gentiles as well through Jesus Christ. That's why he says salvation is of the Jews because Jesus was a Jew. He was of the descendancy of Judah, one of the tribes, one of the sons of Jacob, later known as Israel. So Jesus said, we understand what we worship. But when he said, you do not understand, you don't, you don't worship what you know not, he was just simply saying, I recognize that you're religious, but you're misdirected in this. And the hour is coming. The hour is now here when those who worship must worship in spirit and in truth and it will not be on a certain mountain. It won't be at Gerizim. It won't be on Mount Moriah. 
It'll be in McMinnville, Tennessee, Fayetteville, Tennessee, Spokane, Washington, Chicago, Illinois, in the backwoods, in your living room, wherever you are, can be a place where you can worship. But the components of the worship, Jesus said, here you see the focus has to be redirected. Instead of the place, redirected to this as to the components of true worship, and that is to worship in spirit and in truth. And we understand and have long understood by the careful study of God's Word that that's a reference to the Bible, to the instructions of God. It's inspired of God. God is the God of truth. He's, his word is the word of truth, Jesus said in John 17, 17. And so to worship according to the truth is to worship according to the instructions of God. Attached to that, this question, I'm sure Tony has asked you before, but right now in this setting, are we free to do anything we want to do in worship? Or are is worship regulated by God? It's regulated by God. So worship or the actions of worship are not left up to us. God is the object. He, it says God is a spirit. They that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. So according to His instructions, and to do it according to spirit, means that it comes from within. Worship is not established by trappings or by external circumstances. Worship comes from inside. By the way, are you listening? Remember. Remember what I said about myself earlier? I sang the rest of How Great Thou Art. I sang the words, was I know them by heart. But my mind, I let my mind get distracted and I was thinking about something else even when I sang the rest of the words of How Great Thou Art. So I didn't worship during that time. Have you ever had this experience similar to what I have just recounted about myself? That you assemble with other Christians on Sunday, be it morning or evening, and you're walking out or you're getting in your car or you're now back at home and you're reaching for the remote and you're going to turn on the television, see what's on tonight, and, and you realize that you went through all of the actions of worship and you did not even stop to think what you were doing and why? I was baptized when I was 13 years and four months old. So I've been eating the Lord's Supper since then. Don't do the math. It's been a long time. 
But I've been eating the Lord's Supper every Sunday. I've missed only two or three Sundays when I was sick or injured. I can do that. And I'm ashamed to say I have done that without even thinking about it. I can sing. Worthy of praise is Christ my Redeemer. Worthy of praise is... But who am I talking to? Who am I talking about? And as we closed in that very emotional sobering ending to that last song. Holy, 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 Lord God of hosts, who, like me, thy praise should sing. So have you ever walked out and thought, you know, I just didn't get much out of worship today. Why? Why didn't you? I repeat, it takes effort. It takes concentration. But when we do something again and again and again, it can become so customary and so routine that we can easily do it without thought. And that's what we must guard against. And let me tell you what happens. There are some in that kind of a setting, some in that kind of a mindset, that will call for change. I said, well, worship is just getting boring. You know, it's just the same old songs, it's the same prayers. It's the same scriptures. We do the same thing every Sunday. It's just boring. So maybe we need to change it up. Would change in worship be all right? Well, it depends upon what changes you're talking about. Want to sing two songs before the prayer instead of three? Okay, that's fine. God hasn't dictated that. He hasn't specified how many songs before the prayer. God never did specify that we end with a prayer. He could, we could dismiss our service with just a song. That's all right. Because God hasn't given explicit instructions about those kind of things, they are matters of judgment. They're matters of expediency. Now, if you pull in a mechanical instrument of music like a piano or guitars and drums and so on, and you start accompanying the singing with the playing of instruments, now that's a change, a real change, but that'll be wrong because we don't have authority from God for mechanical music in worship. God has specified vocal music, congregational in style, for our worship. So the change that people would call for need to be understood. Is it something about which God has taught us 
And if it's a violation of what God has taught, then it's wrong. I don't care what the change is or how much you want it or how much it would please you. You don't do it because it's wrong. If it's a matter of judgment, there's still a concern that I have. And let me illustrate it this way. A few years ago, I was teaching a large class of college-age students. This is why we lived in Florence. And <clears throat> on Wednesday night, we, we were very close to the University of North Alabama, had a lot of college students, and we had around 140, 150 students in that class. And we were talking about worship one Wednesday night. And a young lady held up her hand, and I recognized her, and I said, yes, what comment do you want to make? She said, well, I want to ask a question, really. She said, I want to know if this is wrong. She said, back at my home congregation, she said, where I went to worship last Sunday, she normally worshiped with us as a student, but she said, back at my home congregation, she said, they have moved the Lord's Supper table to the back of the auditorium. And they serve from the back of the auditorium. And she said, I want to know, is that wrong? giving you a moment to think about how you would have answered. Let me tell you what my answer was. I said, well, I'm going to answer it by asking a question. Why did they move it? What was the reason? She said, well, the elders got up and said, maybe this has just become so routine that we'll just move it back there. And instead of us focusing upon the men standing up here and so on, and we'll hear them over a microphone, but we won't see them, and so maybe that change will stimulate us to worship a little more about this. And I said, all right, then I have another question. Where are you going to move the table when that becomes routine? And where will be the fourth location? Then the fifth location, because you're going to get used to it at some point. Routine is routine. It's what draws you to that point that matters. My mother and father are buried in a cemetery in Poplar Bluff, Missouri. It's far enough I don't get to go there very often. But when I do go, I go the same way I've gone before. But I don't, I don't ever remember saying, you know, this is just kind of a getting routine. I think I'll take a different route to the cemetery this time so I'll really feel something when I get to their grave. No. If I'm drawn to that spot with the right thought and the right motive, it doesn't matter whether it's the same highway or not. Does that make sense? There's nothing wrong with how great they are if you've been singing it 2,000 times. It all depends upon having the right reaction to it. And instead of having that common reaction of, well, this is getting boring or this is getting so customary, I, I don't even think about it anymore, let's change it up. Well, what are you going to do when you change it and you get used to that? Because you're, you're beginning to come back to that fact that worship comes from within, which leads you to this third understanding of the importance of having the proper perspective. What draws you to the place? 
Why did you come? And what is your motive, your reason as you sit there? Brethren, should worship not include gratitude? For God's mercy. Because I venture to say you're like me. You're not being treated like you deserve and you better be grateful. I don't want justice. If I get justice, I'm in trouble. I want mercy. And it's been given. Should gratitude then not fill my heart? What about humility? Could we learn to pray like Abraham? Do you remember in Genesis chapter 18? When he was negotiating, shall we say, with God about Sodom and Gomorrah. And he approached the Lord with the words, Lord, I've taken it on myself to talk to you. And I recognize I'm nothing. All I am is dust and ashes. And I'm talking to God. It's so easy in this world that's so geared to self-esteem and we must feel good about ourselves. It's so easy to let that get out of control and be too proud. And I read the other day the words of Isaiah when he was talking about Israel as a whole and not just himself, but he said, if you put all of our righteous acts or deeds together, all of our righteousness is together, you know what they are? Filthy rags. That's why I say, what is there about me that deserves this opportunity? And then out of that gratitude, that awareness of God's grace, and out of that humility, knowing how undeserved this privilege is, there grows just naturally praise. And thanksgiving. And you don't just sing, Oh Lord, my God, how great thou art. You sing, Oh Lord, my God, how great thou art. Holy, holy, holy. To understand worship as the Lord seeks true worshipers, we understand that it comes from within with an awareness of who we are 
unawares of who He is, and that it doesn't happen accidentally or automatically, that it requires effort and concentration. I suggest to you, you consider, we can do it according to truth, every service, and yet never worship. So, let's bring it to a practical conclusion. How do we then achieve making it meaningful? The first thing that I suggest to you is prepare for it. And I'm just going to get right down to where we live, okay? It's hard to jump out of bed 35 minutes before you're going to be in worship assembly and rush through a shower and rush through getting dressed and rush through about a, about a toast and cereal and then rush down the road and come into the building or the assembly out of breath and worship. That's hard. I I'm not going to say that this is, this is something every boy ought to be taught to do, but I do remember what my mother taught me. You know when I started getting ready for Sunday worship? Saturday evening. She made sure I had my Sunday school lesson. She made sure my shoes were clean because I had a bad habit of getting them muddy and dirty. And she made sure that my clothes were ready. And then it started early on Sunday morning, because I like to eat breakfast. And if you weren't up by seven, you didn't eat breakfast. I learned preparation. And I recognize that all of us run into problems. We, we all have interruptions. We all have those times when the, the water heater is not functioning or the electricity is out. Or we, we all have those interruptions, but every week. I think sometimes if some of us were as short in our jobs, in being punctual as we are with going to worship God, we'd lose our jobs. My mind goes back to Florence again. There's a couple there that I've admired. I've told them so dozens of times. They were blessed with two children. But from the time both of those children were about five or six years of age, learning they were afflicted with Friedrich's ataxia, 
They spent the rest of their children's lives. The boy died when he was 34. The daughter is still alive at 50-something. And they dress her. They bathe her. They feed her. And they've done both children that way. And they have never been late for worship. It's an attitude. Under most, under normal, under usual circumstances, punctuality and preparation is an attitude. So prepare for worship. And then when you get into the assembly, focus, concentrate. Keep your mind focused, David's saying. And when you're singing how great they are, David's saying, don't let yourself become distracted. Stay focused on what's happening, what you're doing. And the third suggestion It'll help every one of us if we will exercise the mental discipline and keep reminding ourselves we're in the presence of God. What if it's not going to happen? But what if God manifested himself in the flesh and came into this room and walked down the aisle and sat down right there and looked at all of us and said, Sing to me. And after a couple of songs, he says, now talk to me. And then he says, now let me talk to you. Do you think that might affect your worship? Worship is a profound experience, but it can so easily become a profane experience, and it's up to us as to which happens. Open your songbooks, please, to the number that was announced, and let us... Prepare to sing this song of encouragement. If there's anyone in this audience who's not a Christian, we sing it to encourage you to become one. Make the greatest decision of your life and become a Christian tonight. Act upon your faith in Christ. Repent from your sins. Confess your faith in Jesus and be immersed in his name to have your sins forgiven.
and go home rejoicing, knowing that you're saved, a part of the church that Jesus purchased with his blood. If I could assist you, if Tony could assist you, please come while we stand and while we sing.